Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Jim Nance asked some question about sort of why are you taking this position against the Saudi tour? And Jay Monahan says, well, let me answer your question with a question. No, no, don't be too cool for school. When you answer a question with a question, you know, people just say, what are you talking about? Are you not prepped for this? Did your people not tell you what anyone could have told you? These are the five questions Jim Nance is going to ask. Jim Nance could have given you a sheet of paper with these questions on him. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. We'll have more of that today because Steve Sands is going to join us from the U.S. Open in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts at the Country Club. Golf can't start soon enough. Yeah, I will. Thank you, Brooks Kefka. I have uh, a specific request for Sands that I will do on the show. A couple of things to start. Remember Eli Cruikshank? Yes, Eli, summer of Eli. Well, yes. Eli Cruikshank, what did he want from us? He wanted to come on the show. Right, because he's got his own podcast, but he made about nine grammatical mistakes. Yeah. Could have, could and we chastised him. For, yes. He sent us an email. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Tony. I would like to express my thanks for playing the song about my unfortunate grammar <laughs> mistakes. I can't tell you how thrilled I was to have my own David Aldridge moment because there was a jingle about me. I also greatly appreciated Greg Garcia's email to help plead my case. I sent him a thank you message on Instagram, and I hope he got it from Eli Cruikshank. This is a wonderful email because he asks for nothing. Right. It's a he very, asks for nothing. Just he lovely. just says, okay, I did what I did, and uh, I faced the music, and let's go on. Yes. Also, here's another one. I'm with you as of now. LIV is winning. That's the live tour. And this will wind up in the courts with the PGA getting the short end of the stick and the lawyers making out like bandits. By the way, I have Shambliss's home run and Reggie's three home runs in 76 and 77 in my pocket. How's that? Regards, DG. Always good to hear from DG. Always good to hear from DG. Uh, A couple of personal things before we go on. I'm just saying hello out loud to Finn and Pineapple Landscaping. I have things I need from Finn, but I'm saying... Hello out loud, because I like pineapple landscaping, and I use it, and I recommend it to all the people who... who So Finn and Alex, Dad needs the flatbed. Yeah. He needs to make a move. (laughs) And to Peter Barron. Um, Peter, I know you're listening. Uh, Just send me a note about how the uh, reunion was. It was camp reunion over the weekend. And I just want to know how it was and who was there and stuff like that. Okay, so let's get to two things that are on my mind. I'll take the lesser one first. The lesser one is Brooks Kepka. He's the lesser one. He is an unbelievably annoying, smug guy to me. He's the only person in the world that can make DeChambeau look good in a one-on-one. He's, you know, he's got the beautiful girlfriend. He's got the commercials. Beautiful wife, model. He's got the commercials. He's got the frosted hair. He's got all of that. But he... I just don't think he understands how the world works on any level. I mean, I sort of feel like I should sit down with him the way Ned Beatty sat down with Peter Finch in Network to explain how things work. So, Brooks, what I want to say to you is you don't control the news. As much as you want to control the news, you don't control the news. And when you say to the assembled people at the country club in your press conference, why are you people... You people, why are you people throwing a cloud on the golf here, throwing a cloud on the open with all these questions about the Saudi tour? Because, Brooks, that's the news. Yeah. When the golf starts, 
the golf will be the news. But until the golf starts, this is the news. For the first time ever, there is a direct and proportioned challenge to the PGA Tour. And it comes from the Saudi Tour. And, and it is creating in golf a volcanic, a volcanic effect. And everybody, including you, understands this. Now, it seems to me that Brooks Kepka, whose brother is on the Saudi tour, is a, I don't want to say likely, but is a certainly a more than possible candidate to take the money and go to the Saudi tour. Do you not agree with that, Michael? I disagree with much of what you're saying. Okay, go um, ahead. Please. No, I would just say Brooks Kepka, for all of his faults, is someone who basically says, I only care about majors. Majors, I think that's, that's right. wrong. I mean, he's a professional golfer. He's the guy who goes, I don't really like to practice. When you see me playing golf, it's I'm playing golf for a championship and he looks at how easy it is to win these majors because so much of the field as Tom Watson would say is already out of it by the time they arrive so I think he might be a guy who just says I don't need a lot of this distraction in my life he's based in southern Florida he might not he might not actually want to do the travel uh, but it's interesting because of the brother connection and I think that's why he probably got to his tipping point where he said it's you know, the S word, I don't want to talk about this anymore. But I think he's also looking at what we were thinking of with this past week, which is we have the product, we have the players. You can ask these questions up to a point, but at a certain moment, the golf speaks for itself. I and agree. the best thing we're going to do is show them strength of competition. And I totally agree with that. But it's like he's yelling at the media. The media isn't doing this to stop the interest in golf, the media is reacting to the news. The media is reacting to what Greg Norman and the Saudis are doing. The media is reacting to the possible fracturing of a sport that's been around for an awfully long time. And why are they asking Brooks Kepka about this? Because he's got four majors. He's a stud player. They're asking all the golfers, but when they get to Brooks Kepka, it's more important because he's really good. So it, it, it just, I, I, to me, it's sort of a denial of the way the world works, right? And you're shaking your head. I'm, at not, I'm not totally shaking my head. I'm just looking at this and go, you see what every single comment that's coming out by Rory or Justin is a not even thinly veiled criticism. It's like, at a certain point, let the golf talk. Well, let the golf be played. Yeah, I'd be more interested. So Brooks signed a huge endorsement deal with Strixon Cleveland Golf, and part of that included using their driver and golf ball. And he just Which got- he endorses. Sure. If you go underneath the hood, take the head cover off. He's using the tailor-made driver that he won his most recent major with the PGA. I mean, if we're gonna if we're looking at a past champion who still has uh, this amazing record at these majors, I, I'd be interested in looking at maybe why he hasn't been playing so because he chased the money. Um, does he use a Strixon ball? He used a Strixon ball, but now he is going back to the uh, the Titleist that he was uh, that he won with, and he has been granted permission by his sponsor. Wait, wait, wait. Srixon is paying him to endorse the ball, but not making him use the ball? He's using the irons and the wedges, and they basically said this is so early in what's going to be a long, wonderful partnership that we want to make sure okay. he's part of the process. Okay. One other thing I want to get to, and this is actually more important to me, and that is Steven Strasburg. Um, after we had completed the show on Monday, sufficiently after, somewhere around 5 o'clock, 4 or 5 o'clock, because I was doing the PTI show when I got a note from Matt Rennie that said, Strasburg to the IL. And I wrote back, no, <laughs> no. It happened in the afternoon. Yeah. 
We didn't put it on the PTI show because we've been banging Strasburg around for a long time. Barry's Verluga wrote a column that I think everybody ought to read. What it, what it does is sort of sketch out the worst case scenario for the Washington Nationals. But I know not everybody's interested in the Washington Nationals. More people are interested in Steven Strasburg than in the Washington Nationals because Steven Strasburg was at one point the number one overall draft pick in baseball. And his debut in the major leagues was 14 strikeouts. And you sat back and you said to yourself, a star is born. This guy is it. And by the way, very often when he pitched, you had that feeling that he's a great, great, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. Well, pretty quickly into his career, he began to, I don't want to say fall apart, that's not fair, he began to have a series of injuries that kept him off the major league roster. Barry points out he's been on he's been on the DL, what it used to be called, and the IL 15 different times. 15 different times. If you don't think that's a lot, ask yourself how many times Freddie Freeman's been on. Because it ain't 15. It's a lot. And you reach the point, and I started calling him the Orchid pretty quickly, and Tom Boswell used to rip me for that in print. He used to you just, not by name, but he would say, people who do this are dopes and they don't know what they're talking okay okay and steven strasburg without him the nats would not have won the world series it's not just him steven strasburg patrick corbin and even max scherzer went to the bullpen because the washington nationals knew their bullpen wasn't good enough by itself and they needed the starters in there and they all performed heroically and and the truth of the matter is that some three years later max scherzer finds himself on the IL a couple of times, Patrick Corbin has lost the greatness that he was close to. And Steven Strasburg, after signing a $245 million contract, has pitched something like 37 innings in now the third year. Do I have that correct? This is the third year. Yep, surprising. 37 innings. So I'm not going to knock Strasburg here. But that was, that was my great fear. I mean, you heard me say when he, would, when he went out, the day he pitched... Oh, my, the over-under is the third inning. He'll look at his right arm. He'll look into the dugout. The train will come out, and that'll be it. The sun will come out. Yeah, right. <laughs> but Tomorrow. He, yeah, but he <laughs> got through it. Davey left him in too long. I don't think that has anything to do with the injury. Yeah. He let him roast out there as everybody was hitting him in the fifth inning. But everyone said, he'll be back five days. He's taking another turn. And then a day later, two days later, you find out he's going to the injured list. And is it indefinite at this point? Yeah. It's not the 15-day. It's the indefinite. Mm. The indefinite. So what this says to somebody like me is we are watching now, and I'll be pessimistic about this, we're watching the end. Like, he may never pitch again. He's had this operation he took his time getting back, much longer than most fans thought. And he went out there and had five strikeouts. 
looked pretty good at times. His secondary pitches were very good. Yeah. I think was not reaching a high number on the fastball. Yeah, it was like 91. But even, 90, even the World 90, Series here, you yeah. started to look at when he, when he talked about his debut, and then he saw the second act where he started to say, okay, he has figured out a recipe which includes one or two stints on the on the IL, and it's it's using guile and it's using these other pitches to get people out rather than just overpowering you know, mid-90s fastball. Right. And now he was not even getting to like 91. No, he got to 90. Now, I said on the air... Well, maybe he was saving it because he didn't want to throw yeah. his arm out. That made sense to me. Sure. But, but I, was, I was much closer to optimism than pessimism at the end of that. Much closer. I don't care that he lost. His first time back. He'd been in the minor leagues throwing the people on the peanuts, you know, it's, you know and the Fred Nats. Okay, I get it. It doesn't. He's Steven Strasburg. But this one, this one rocks you. This one makes you actually say, does it not, Michael? We may have seen the last of him. Yeah. We, or I, the last effective part of him. And He'll you try you're again. Always gonna, you're always going to wonder what could have been without those injuries. And now you look yeah. at the team where you start to say, be, even beyond the money, you just think about that one you know, position in the lineup of your five starters. And you think, we are years from getting out of this. You know, forget... Forget potential sales, forget Juan Soto. We don't have pitchers. I never thought, and I did think he could be a Hall of Fame pitcher, but I never thought he was a number one pitcher. And what I meant by that was I never thought, like you, Matt Scherzer, Justin Verlander, they, they say, the give me the ball right now. I don't care if my arm's falling off. Give me the ball. Steven Strasburg is not that guy. But he, was, he had great, great talent. And I never doubted that he wanted to pitch. I just said he doesn't get out there. He's the orchid. It doesn't work most of the time. Now, part of me, it's not that I doubt that he wants to pitch, but I think he's probably has to think, as we would all think, am I ever going to do this again? I'm breaking down here. Am I ever going to be able to do this again? I think he's looking at the window closing in his mind. That has to be a possibility. Sure. And I'm not sure he ever looked at that before. Well, and you look at the effect of the two COVID seasons where the first one definitely, you know, with the shortened season and the rules about shutting down teams and all that. And you start to say, okay, it, it, from a fan's perspective, it gave you a lot of um, acceptance as to, okay, this is, it's going to be another season. Or we're going to punt on this one because we don't really have a chance. And you just wonder, did some of those happenings – uh, you know, hide his, you know, hide the ability to see that closing window. It's, you know, I think you have to think yeah. that's how many times is he getting out there again? The next time he gets out there, you're going to think, hey, he's going on the IL again. Why wouldn't you think he's yeah. going to have to put together a whole season and he's not in his 20s anymore, right? No. He's 33, 34. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's hit at the end. At the end, everyone is going to say the exact same thing. Wow, what could have been with this guy? Because there's nobody who ever watched him pitch who didn't think he was great, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Just amazing. That first the Nats have had two number one overall picks. Was Zimmerman a number one overall pick? No, he was just their first pick. Okay. Yeah, I don't think he was. They had two one. overall number ones, Strasburg and Harper. They got those right. <laughs> they got those right. We'll take a break. Michael Wilbon, we hope. He's back in D.C. We hope he's on the show when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, 
five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. In the summer of 77, Star Wars was on every big screen. George Foster hit 50 for Cincy. The Mets traded Seaver to that same Reds team. Tommy John was a pitcher, not a medical procedure. And Reggie and the Yanks provided intrigue. And a pitcher for GG Movers was MVP <laughs> of the Long Beach Red League. <laughs> That's funny. get in there. We need you. What a beautiful, glorious sound. Ain't got a prayer without your golden arm on the mound. Kornheiser, <laughs> quit preening, quit combing your tresses. The fellas are restless, paying no Captain Queeg. Grab your glove, here's the ball. Show us once and for all who's MVP of the Long Beach Rec League. Say. 77. What a season, what a summer, what a year. The Yanks won it all. LA showed fatigue, and Kornheiser was MVP of the Long Beach Red League. The brilliant Dan Byrne, the turnaround is amazing. I just started talking about Gigi Movers the other day Still when I was talking. Talking to Wilbon, I have a jersey. I've got everything. Tony Peretta was Gigi. Everybody called him Gigi, and he had a moving truck. This is like 80 years ago. Wilbon joins us now. We have Wilbon. Wilbon is back in the greater D.C. area. He's had a few hours sleep, not many. You never played in a, in a softball league, did you? I mean, you were a baseball yeah. pitcher in high school. Did you play softball? <laughs> I was, but I also played softball, Tony. Softball in Chicago means something completely different. Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Louis in the Midwest, you play with a 16-inch clincher. Oh, the giant ball. Yeah, the giant yeah, ball. Yeah, you play with that. You don't wear gloves, right? There are no gloves. No. Oh. Right. Part of the deal is that then enables you to play co-ed. Yeah. When you're a kid, you know, girls didn't have gloves. They, they just didn't have gloves. So if you had a co-ed event, and this was at picnics and God knows what, leagues too, then you played with a 16-inch clincher. That's what we played with. So when I got down to Washington, I played in co-ed leagues, just regular softball co-ed leagues. Oh, okay. You know, hit it as hard as you can hit it with the regular yeah. clincher. Yes, I'd not seen that before. I will, I will concede that when I was on Long Island, I played in only men's leagues. I didn't right. know there were women's leagues, and I ne- yeah. we never had a girl who wanted to play. But Cohen, yeah, great. 
Yeah, so we did the Down by the Washington Monument. I played on the great Bialystok and Bloom team for a number of years. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot. I, I will say this. I could not, even when I was young, I could not hit a ball pitched by any of the women who pitch in college. I could not hit it. It's too yeah. fast. I could yeah. not hit it. There's no chance I could have hit it. Um, but I love the softball that we played. I love that kind of softball. Did you must have loved playing softball? It's great. Softball's great. I loved it. I did it my whole life. I mean, you would do that recreationally, and then you could do yeah. it competitively too, um, which I did a little bit of. But then I, you know, I moved away from Chicago, and I got here, and everybody was playing the, the, the softball that, that you played. Yes. And we, didn't, yes. we didn't do that, so I, I, I lost interest after a while. I did. I remember going, like, the big deal for me was to go to Jones Beach because they had fields with fences. And the first couple of times that GG Movers went to Jones Beach and I was pitching, guys hit it so far, they cleared the fence by 50 feet. And they <laughs> just went, oh, my God. These were guys, these were like, uh, let me describe, and I'm being as accurate as I can be, 6'4 to 6'6". Six, six, 260 to 280 yeah, with yeah. grooved swings yeah. on a high pitch, an yeah. uppercut swing on a high pitch, huge, and, and they hit it so far. You, what were you going to do? Huge, huge guys would hit it forever. Oh, I mean, monsters. They were monsters. with diamonds in Chicago on a lake, and that's what that was yeah. the pastime. In the movie about last night, I think. I remember that movie, yes. yeah. And there was another one. It was showcased Chicago softball in the summer, and I don't think people do that anymore. I don't. I, 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 I don't. Uh-huh. I think it's gone. I think it's generational. I think it's history. Loved softball. Absolutely loved softball. All right, let's get to the purpose of all of these things. We are three two in the series. We had Tim Legler on the show yesterday. Tim Legler said Boston's going to win Game Six in Boston. What are your th- Steve Kerr? And this is what you say to your team: We're going to go to Boston and win it. You don't say we're going to go to Boston and lose it and come back here and win it. No, but you'd be an idiot to say that. So Steve Kerr said what any coach would have said, and he said it quietly. He didn't start jumping up and down. But what are your thoughts about game six in Boston? Boston's going to win. Mm-hmm. That, that, those are my thoughts, that Boston's going to win that game tomorrow night. Uh, and we go back on Father's Day to San Francisco. I mean, that's what I think is going to happen. Um, the Warriors aren't so much better and the Celtics, that if the Celtics play with the kind of purpose and urgency they will play with to avoid being eliminated, that the Celtics will lose. I just don't see that. Um, you know, they, they had a chance. We talked about this yesterday, you and I, of course. When Steph Curry goes over on three-pointers, yeah. you, you, you <laughs> better win that game, and they didn't. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, could Golden State win tomorrow? They, they could. You know, they've had two games in a row now where everybody's, other people have played better. Wiggins now looks like a guy who could have been chosen number one overall. Wait, he was. And now that, listen, Tone, when you're the fourth best guy on your team and you don't have to be the best guy on your team, which is what number one overall suggests you should be, That's right. the pressure is so much less. The defensive players he faces as the fourth best guy on a team is so much different for Wiggins. So he's a legit difference maker. And Jordan Poole is now playing better. You know, he had seven shots in a row the other night. I mean, you know, they, 
they they found something here. They could win tomorrow, but I just think that I think Tatum and Brown and Smart will be too good tomorrow and stave off elimination, and and they'll, that thing will go back to, to to San Francisco. And there, you expect the Warriors to win, right? I do, I do, but there's some weird things that happened. You know, this year we've seen Milwaukee and Phoenix, and we've seen some really good teams lose Game Sevens at home. Really yeah, I will go back to um, before the playoffs started when we were informed, you and I, that the ESPN BPI, yeah. the Basketball Power Index, rated the Celtics an 84% chance of winning the series, which to me meant they'd win in four or five. And we both yeah. went That's crazy about that. Yeah, My feeling did. now is that even if the Celtics win, the BPI was wrong. Because they had him at 84%, right? That's it ridiculous. Just, it's just stupid. I mean, you know, it's just the way people try to attack sports these days. It's stupid. It's disrespectful. It's not born of anything rational. And so I attacked the BPI on our network. Yeah. On a, show, on a, on a countdown show, which I probably shouldn't have done. I'm sure somebody in Bristol was very angry at me for that, not that I cared. But yeah, 80, I thought it was 86%. Whatever it was. Whatever. It was 80, in the 80s. So dumb. It was in the 80s. It was just dumb. Get it out of here. Get a, you know, now after Boston won game one in San Francisco, I was going, ooh, let me, let me pipe down a little <laughs> bit here. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't want to have to issue any too. official apologies. But yeah, so Tony, I think that. Um, you know, Curry's gonna probably hit fifty percent of his threes, but maybe you know maybe Boston will come up with some things, a couple of wrinkles that will help them just get through Game Six at home. And the Celtics, by the way, at home, Tony, this postseason are only six and five. Yeah, they're not a good home team. Better road team. Yeah, better road team. Yeah, absolutely. Better road team. They have to win two in a row, which they've done in each series so far, and won each series so far. But Golden State doesn't lose two in a row. They don't do they that. They haven't done that. So we'll see. You know, since like February. March. March was March. the last okay, time they did know, it. Okay, you know exactly uh, let's, Okay. Let's move on because tonight um, the NHL playoffs start. The Stanley Cup final starts tonight. Tampa Bay and Colorado. You and I have a difference of opinion on this. You like Tampa Bay to win, don't you? I don't like them. I dislike them. But, but you yeah. like them to win. Yeah. 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 They're the champs. They're not playing around. They lost game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, five to nothing. That's right. That's right. Okay? And since then, I think they're 10 and one or something. Crazy. You know, no, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be 12 and one or 12 and two. Well, they yeah, they lost two to the Rangers. Okay, yeah, so they lost 12. two to the Rangers. But they, they, they've just, you know, they're the best team. They're the best team. They're champions. They play like champions. They're down in games, two goals, they come out. They're ferocious. They're a great goaltender in Vasilevsky. Mm-hmm. That Stam coach was a great end-to-end, two-end player. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to watch tonight. I'm gonna watch. I want to see. I appreciate championship play. I don't care who it is. You know, I got to go and be on... Tampa radio today because I've been trashing them, saying I'm rooting for the Rangers and I'm rooting for the Panthers and I'm rooting for anybody but them, but an SEC team. But I admire them. I do. 
they're 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 the best tone. They may be the best since Edmonton. That's a long time ago. If they get three in a row, they're 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 immortal wow. in hockey. Yeah, if, that's right. It doesn't happen. It just no. the last team to get three in a row in hockey, three in the a Islanders. row was the Islanders. Yeah. Like fifty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long, a long time. time ago. Yeah. It's a long time ago. All right, let's move on. Um when the golf starts, the golf starts. But until the golf starts, everybody's just talking about the Saudi tour versus the PGA tour. And you and I both like Phil Mickelson very much. Yeah. We like him. What did you think of his press conference and what do you think of the Phil you see right now? He looked scared. He looked terrified to be there. Which is crazy. Look, I, I've gotten to know Phil in the last few years in a different way. One, I, I now live in the community where Phil's first golf course is authored in Whisper Rock in Arizona. And I've gotten to be around Phil um, either in Arizona or more so. Steph Curry has an incredible charity event in which Phil became part of, and I co-hosted with Amanda now Renner, Amanda Balionis, for those paying attention for the last few years. And we co-hosted for Steph, and Phil's there. And so, you know, you have some meals together. You, you hang out a little bit. You do stuff. And Phil Mickelson, you can dislike Phil. Phil Phil's, you know, Phil's not for everybody. But Phil's smart and funny, and he, he's playful. And he has a good time. And he's engaging, right? He's engaging. He'll talk to you about anything. He will. And the other day, he looked like he was being held hostage. He was not Phil Mickelson that I've gotten to know. So this whole thing is not just live. It's all the revelations about what his life allegedly has turned into. And it's a scary. I don't know how much of it he's confirmed. I know what people are saying and reporting. And you're just like, oh, my God, man, what, what, what's happened to Phil Mickelson? And so now he's part of Liv, and I think big. I I think Liv is a bigger threat than I think you think it is, because I think when, when you say to people, you're going to play one less day, you're going to play half the events, and you're going to make many times the money, they say, sign me up. And so I know there are people in the community in which I live in Arizona who are ready to go. They are ready to sign their names on the dotted line now. And so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it means, but I think it's a serious threat. Money is I do always too. a serious threat. I do. I, think, I do think it's a serious threat. I certainly think it's a serious threat. I do. Yeah. All right. We'll end up talking about, well, you know what? We'll, I don't know what we'll talk about today on, on the show. What's I'm, today? I What's think today? we should talk. Wednesday. I think we should talk a little bit about Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson actually said this sentence. I look forward to being a role model in the community. Are you kidding me? Are you, are, what? What? <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I, I couldn't. I didn't watch any of that. I was flying. I did. I watched so it this I morning. SFO yesterday, and I see Deshaun Watson in a hoodie, in a scully, doing a press conference, and I'm like, uh oh. Ooh. I'm glad I'm not around for this. I look but forward I, you know, to being a role model. 
Yeah. I don't know what universe he's in, but anyway. He's All right, I'll talk to you later. All Go right, back so to sleep. Sounds good. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll come back with Steve Sands. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called Old School Groove. It is led by Ricky Harvey. This is sent to us by Douglas Bevan in Adrian, Michigan. And he writes, this is my friend Ricky Harvey's band named Old School Groove. Old School Groove blends vintage rock, southern rock, and blues, honestly. I may never have found their music if I wasn't his friend, but it's great stuff. Like you, Mr. Tony, Ricky and I have always made people laugh. We actually tied for the wittiest boy in senior class. We drove a 71 Bug with a Baja kid that he did. Doug did, and he drove a big old station wagon with wood paneling that said Sex Machine, painted in huge letters. <laughs> Unbelievable. So please play some old school groove there. Just great. This is a song called Drawing the Line. And Michael, if people like old school groove want to send in their music or have their best friends do it, how they do so. Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Okay. So Steve Sands joins us. And before we get to that, Nigel has found something worthy of reading. Yes, uh, on the menu at the starboard in Dewey Beach. I believe it's in Dewey, Dewey. isn't it? It's in Dewey. The Sands Tots. It's described as as this. NBC Sports and Golf Channel Steve Sands, a close friend to all here and a starboard fan, insisted Monty that he had to bring tater tots to the menu. These tots are covered with melted cheeses, bacon scallions, drizzled with sour cream on top, and served with Steve's very favorite dressing, our homemade ranch, by dipping. Steve got his wish, so he named it for him. Now it's right next or right below the turgeon tenders. Which They're think, coming off the menu. Turgeon <laughs> tenders have a short shelf life. Yes, and the uh, sands tots. Yes. How do you feel about that? You happy for that? Some people have doctorates. Some people have tater tots. It's <laughs> wonderful. Before we start with this, I have to ask you to do me a favor at the country club. Yeah. Okay. I want you to get me a scorecard, a pristine scorecard from the country club. Not an open really? scorecard. I don't care about that. Just uh, there are two courses I've played. I put all my scorecards in giant um, displays. Window boxes. Window boxes. And there are two that I played that I never got scorecards for. The country club and Brayburn. You know, I can get one from Brayburn because I, I know a member. Joe Serafini is a member there, and he took me to play. But the country club, I'd like to have that. You could do that for me? We can handle that. Thank I will. Uh, let's you. see. What's today? Wednesday? I will yes. go into the clubhouse this afternoon uh, after our production meetings and rehearsal, and I will uh, grab let's you a school. fresh scorecard. Hopefully they have them in the clubhouse. And I'm a pencil, maybe? And a pencil? Oh, you want I'd, a pencil I'd love too? a pencil. Okay, thank wow. you. All right, let's start with this. Maybe grab a steam. Can I give it to you when we're having a drink at Rehoboth Country Club later this summer? Sure, we can definitely do that. Would you like me to send it to you right away? No, 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 no. You can bring it to me. You can give it to me. We will do that in Rehoboth, and then we'll go get some Sands Tots (laughs) at the Starboard. Then we'll do that. Let me tell you something. How on earth could you possibly have a great beach bar? and not have tater tots on the menu. I mean, that is an egregious error by Monty. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, well, Monty was schooled by you on this, and you know, so it's, it's done. It's done. Uh, All right, let's start. Let's start stuff. with the timeline. Let's start with the timeline. It starts yep. with Phil's press conference on Monday, because Phil yep. said, "Let me get this out of my life." What did you think of it? What did you think? Did you see anything in Phil Mickelson that you remembered from Phil Mickelson? I have never seen him seem sound and look so meek, so sheepish, so not know-it-all, um, so uncom- um, lacking confidence. He's Phil Mickelson, Tony. Whenever he stood at a podium or been interviewed on live TV by us or carried himself with fans, walked the fairways of every single PGA Tour event or major championship, I mean, Phil Mickelson is uh, – an incredible talent, and also out of the people's champion, you know, the people's choice. He's always carried himself with an amazing amount of confidence, and man, did he look the opposite of that on Monday. I don't know what you thought, Tony, but I did not think he looked good at all. Sad, uncomfortable, guarded, and I asked myself, will we see Phil Mickelson ever again? Because it looked like, as Wilbon said, and Wilbon said this, it looked like he was a hostage. I mean, it just wasn't anywhere near the Phil Mickelson that we've all come to really enjoy. It was awful, I thought, right? Yeah, he completely, a complete, I totally agree. A complete shell of himself. Um, and it was really strange. I mean, I've been around Phil a long, long time professionally. And you're talking about a guy who walks around, literally, he might as well have a shirt on that says, I'm Phil Mickelson and you're not. And I mean yes. that in a good way. I mean, he has yes. always carried himself with an incredible amount of confidence and moxie uh, and swagger, um, borderline on cocky and arrogance. And always in an interview has stolen the room for years at Augusta National when he has the microphone in front of him just having fun with the writers uh, in the press building at Augusta National um, as a three-time Masters champion. He was nothing like that on Monday. It was bizarre to listen to it. It was bizarre to see. They have put him in a grouping for the first two days with Louis Oosthuizen, uh, yep. a former major winner but from South Africa on the Saudi tour, and Shane Lowry from Ireland. Not in, They did not put him with any Americans from the PGA Tour of consequence. Is there a specific message in that in your mind? No, there's not, Tony. I mean, I wish there was. I mean, look, you know how key times work for television. You know, you want them to finish uh, in the in the big time window on NBC, yep. um, that kind of thing, and you can't manipulate uh, tea times for Saturday and Sunday. They're based on how things go on Thursday and Friday, but you can manipulate in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, manipulate tea times for Thursday and Friday for television, and we were hoping that you know we were going to see some you know some serious contentiousness there, and at least one or two of the groups, um, most notably with Phil Mickelson, but they chose the safe route, uh, and they are not going to do that. But, look, no matter who Mickelson played with on Thursday and Friday at this particular U.S. Open, by the way, tomorrow's his birthday, um, he he received some really good crowd love yesterday. I I was walking the golf course, Tony, um, and I walked by his group a couple of times, and he was not getting heckled. You know, I think Sergio Garcia might get roughed up 
uh, over the next few days uh, here by the Boston fans. But Phil Mickelson didn't seem like he was going to get roughed up. And, you know, we were thinking that he may or may not, and, and it looks like the may not is going to win out. That's what I wanted to ask you. Do you expect reactions um, I'm not booing or anything like that, but sort of disgust with the people who have left for the Saudi tour, uh, as opposed to great cheers for the Rory's and the JT's of the world. Yeah, I think I think Mickelson um, will re- the only person really who you know the fans have gotten on over the years who has done this is Sergio, and I think Sergio is still going to receive his fair share of uh, you know Boston jeers. Uh, Nigel will love that, uh, being the big Bostonian uh, that he yeah. is. Um, I think that Mickelson, I know yesterday, I'm telling you, yesterday he received a lot of love. He was giving those, you know, goofy, you know, thumbs up like a, like a, you know, like a president Good. of the United States kind of does and, you know, tipping of the hat. Um, he was kind of, you know, meekly smiling and waving at people, uh, that kind of thing. He, he's, I think he's embarrassed, Tony. I think he, I think he's very uncomfortable uh, with the decision that he's made and having to go public with a lot of things that were also private to him. Um, and now he's trying to work his way back into it. But he's trying to work his way back into it, Tony. He's not that good of a golfer, you know, right now. You know, he's not playing great golf. He's going to be 52 years of age tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, he'll receive a lot of love. Uh, but I think Sergio might get roughed up. The other guys, you know, nobody's booing Louis and Nobody's booing Brandon Grace. You know, that no, kind of thing. Dustin no. Johnson, Justin Johnson. Mm-hmm. You'll get a heckle here and there. Someone, what, the Boston Herald had a brutal headline yesterday on Mickelson. You just, I don't know if you saw it or not. No, it wasn't the Globe, did not. the Herald. Uh, the headline was, shame on you, Phil. And then the, the story was about how he didn't even belong here. Um, and it was rooted in a lot of things. I'm not sure if you heard Christine Brennan's exchange with him on Monday. It was about the, you know, the, the 9-11 families who wrote the letter one of the planes came from here at Logan Airport in Boston. The Boston Herald decided to jump on that uh, angle, um, rightly or wrongly. That's up to you. You're the journalist, not me. Uh, but they, they decided to go that angle, and Phil did not receive many heckles. He might get one or two here and there, but for the most part, he'll get a lot of love. Yeah, because he's got a history of people liking him for a long period of time. Correct. And if there's anyone out there that people will forgive, because they'll, what they'll do, and this is an easy, easy thing to say, say, he's a degenerate gambler. He needs the money. We still love him. Yeah. That's an easy out for people. It honestly is an easy out. Let me go to one other thing. I've, I've been watching live from, I've watched this a couple of nights now. Brandel Chambly, and I will say this, I like Brandel Chambly. I think he's terrific on television, and I think he's fearless on television. And some of the things he said about Tiger, for example, over the years have gotten Wilbon to hate him. But he took out after (laughs) Phil. Whoa, man. He called him duplicitous. He called him disingenuous. He's been on this thing. Does he represent, in your mind, the sort of golf establishment point of view? Because he killed him. He did. He killed him. He did. He's been killing him for months and months about all this. Um, and he's been killing, to be fair, all the guys who decided to leave the PGA yes. Tour for yes. live golf. He has, Brandel has interestingly made this um, a morality issue and not a golf issue. And clearly this isn't growing the game. Um, clearly this is splintering the professional aspect of the sport. 
Um, and it's dominating conversation at a U.S. Open, which is not yes. fair to the U.S. Open. But that, that's the way sports works. That's the way life works. Brandel has a massive, massive problem with the funding, the backing by the Saudis for Live Golf. And he has made his opinions very well known. Uh, and Mickelson, the problem that he has with Mickelson is the problem that most people have with Mickelson. He always kind of is right on that edge, Tony, of is he being genuine or is he being disingenuous? You know, he, he straddles that line a lot. And, you know, when you, when you come out and you are as visible and as great a player as Phil has been for the better part of three decades as a pro, um, and you don't exactly adhere to your words, that has bothered Brando, and Brando has taken a flamethrower to live golf and to Phil Mickelson specifically on yes. TV for the last three months. And in the last few days, he's really told. So I will, I will say this, and I, think, and I tried to say this the other day when Jim Nance interviewed Jay Monahan. Yeah. J- those questions were the right questions. They were totally predictable. Jim Nance could have given him the questions the night before because everybody understands that. What you have to understand is a lot of people are saying – it's terrible to take the money from the Saudis. Right. There's money on the other side, too. CBS, the Golf Channel, the, you part, everybody's a partner with the PGA Tour. So you have to understand that this seems to me to actually be an epic struggle. It really does. This seems to be a big deal to me, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, it's, it's a very big deal. Uh, and... and you know, to be fair to the networks, you know, if you're ESPN Plus and you're and you're Disney, which is you know pays part of your salary, Tony. Yes. And your Comcast, partners. which is NBC and Golf Channel, partners. And you're CBS, you're you're partners with the PGA yes. Tour. People need to uh, not that they need to understand is the wrong way to put it. Television partners are different than Doug Ferguson, who's the AP golf writer, coming to every golf tournament. He's not. We're paying to be here. We're paying to show this. So we are technically a partner. And when that partnership um, and that contract with that media partner isn't exactly what the media partner, you know, was paying for, then perhaps they get a little bit upset and are making phone calls. I don't know if that's the case, but I would assume some difficult conversations are going to be taking place here. Uh, in the next few weeks, if they haven't already, because I know the sponsors of PGA Tour events are unhappy. I know that the players on the PGA Tour are not extremely pleased with what's going on and how this is all unfolded and taken place. Um, it, it's a very, very fine line. I, I, I heard you the other day when you were talking uh, about Nance and Monaghan uh, on CBS on Sunday. On your show, I couldn't. Just, I can't remember if it was PTI or your podcast, Tony. But I, I heard you having that conversation. I totally agree with you. I thought that Jim's questions were correct. Uh, totally, you know, and 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 I don't think Jay handled it very well. He didn't look very good. He didn't sound very good. Um, it was. It was. You know, you could. As someone said to me yesterday, he looked like a nine-year-old child whose toys were taken from him. Um, <laughs> it, it seemed like he was. You know being combative and arrogant as opposed to exuding or revoking confidence um, and, and answering a question with a question is never a good idea. <laughs> I mean, that's never, idea. ever a good idea. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you totally on your assessment about Monaghan uh, 
Saturn and looked the other day, but he's in a very, he's in a difficult spot, Tony. Man, oh man, can you imagine what's going through his mind? Um, you know, they are being besieged right now, uh, and they are fighting for their lives right now, and it's going to be a race with money and time to see who ends up uh, winning this thing. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. This is the easy question. Pick a winner for us. Uh, if you think picking a winner is easy, you're out of your mind. Um, uh, let's see. I'll go with three guys. I saw Tommy Fleetwood yesterday. Tommy Fleetwood, the harder the golf course, the better he plays. He's an off-the-board pick. All right? Uh, a medium-range yeah. pick would be Will Zalatoris. Again with Will Zalatoris. He's never won before on the PGA Tour. But, man, he plays these major championships well, Tony. And Will Zalatoris, if – that's a big if – if that putter – can just behave from six feet and in, Will Zalatoris will be there at some point on the weekend, giving himself another chance to win one of these big four events. And Rory McIlroy's coming off a win last week. And you know how much I love Rory, and I'm not picking him because I love him. I'm picking him because he's playing great. And when he plays great, he tends to continue playing great for a while. The last time he won a major was eight years ago. It's a long time. But he won the previous week on the PGA Tour, the last time he won a major. Yes, he did. the exact same yes. case as this. So, and we've heard him, we've, we've watched him, and for the first time in a long time, Tony, because of this live golf, because of what's going on in this, in this sport, McElroy has taken the flag and the mantle of the PGA Tour, and he is playing with a chip on his shoulder. If he can wedge and putt it the way he did last week, here at Brookline, here at the Country Club, Rory McIlroy is going to win another U.S. Open. He hit wedges. He hit like eight wedges within 10 feet. It was just amazing. It was unreal. All right, it was amazing. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk after it. Thanks, Steve. All right. A pencil and a scorecard coming your way, Tony. Please, please. Steve Sands, boys and girls. And we'll take tots. a break. Yeah, well, we'll get those out in, <laughs> at Monty's Restaurant at the Starboard, Mr. Montgomery. Um, we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Can I buy some Wi-Fi, man? Someone help me understand. 45G coverage doesn't reach me. The connection's fine when I'm on the road. But on the couch, it just won't load. It never works at Uncle Ben. Joe Arrow is great. Tony, please listen. A cell tower, you're missing. Wi-Fi scan. The settings are in the palm of your hand. The signal's one bar, there's your proof. Maybe try it up on the roof. Just pay the bill and throw it up against the wall. Joero doing the Beatles, doing Nowhere Man. It's totally brilliant. Yeah, just terrific. Totally brilliant. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so very, very much. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, wouldn't it be nice if we were older, then we wouldn't have to wait so long? Wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? You know, it's going to make it that much better when we can say goodnight and stay together. That's Brian Wilson. 
Those are the Beach Boys. That's from the Pet Sounds album. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Steve Sands. Thanks to today's sponsors, Progressive X Chair and Me Undies. A great read by Michael. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. Okay. So I got this note from Chan Hardwick the other day, and now it is confirmed by Jonas McDavid. Your recollection of the members of Love and Spoonful was correct, but perhaps incomplete. Did you or Michael know that John Sebastian is a Blair Academy alumnus, class of 1962? (laughs) In fact, he made a return to Blair last weekend for the first time since his graduation. He was part of the inaugural class inducted into Blair's Arts Guild. Can you tell Chan that was one he didn't get done on his watch? I think this is worthy of an eat it Chan moment. (laughs) Also, congratulations to my class of 92, classmates Adam and Tasha, who were also inducted into the inaugural Arts Guild Honor Wall with Mr. Sebastian. I didn't know that he So went. Chan had told us about this at a dinner once, which I of course I you forgot. forgot. I wonder if he stayed at the, in the Freeman dormitory, which I was uh, I watched <laughs> over for a number of years. So John Sebastian, I mean, he went to Blair. Yeah. So did his brother. Apparently, they submitted that song as, as an independent project, and their teacher gave them a D-plus on that song. Somewhere in the city. Really? A D-plus. Chan wrote me that. It's Mr. That Underwood. For you. <laughs> D plus for summer in the city. The two greatest summer songs of all time are, you know, are up on the roof and 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 Summer in the City. Summer yeah. in the City. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, from Brent Richards, Brent from Kingston. Dear Dr. Tony, I used to buy baguettes from Zalyanovsky. He was a baker. He sold baguettes before he was a rock and roll guitarist. He was also, I think, deported from the United I States. I think he at was. One point. Yes, I think he went to Canada. Yes. They're in that song Creek Alley, you know, they do Zally, Zally, Zolly Dolly, something like that. Yeah. Don't you think that I wish I could play guitar like you? That's Denny Doherty saying that to him. Don Ames, it's yeah, Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Canada. So you're reading the old emails, huh? Let me ask you something. How are you on the Bay Bridge? (laughs) From Anita in Alaska, Anita Archuleta, who we like very much. We love Anita, yes. Could you let me know when you get to the emails from May 2009? I may or may not have sent one about that time I sat next to mine, that bird. (laughs) Uh, From Brandon Costello, I look forward to hearing this email read on the show in August of 2024. See, look what you started. From Phil... Papielski in Westminster, Maryland. When I saw this picture, you were the first person I thought of. Still trying to figure out how you did not know the Capitals blocked Penguin fans for years at buying playoff tickets. Oh, this is a great picture of a full moon all in orange going right through. Isn't that Show fantastic? this to Michael, going yeah. right through a basketball hoop with an iron net. Wow. That's fantastic. From Jim Cardacci. So, Tony, I'm summering in Bethany Beach, working at Baywood Greens in Long Neck. I noticed tonight is a full strawberry moon. I thought Michael could show Bootsy and the Hammer. I wish I could afford Hickman's and Rehoboth, but Chick-fil-A number one at under $8 and no sales tax fits my budget. We should. Baywood Greens has the most beautiful floral arrangements of a golf course. The most beautiful. Uh, Greg Dennis, uh, he says, I hate warm weather hockey teams. Signed Greg from where it's cold. Everybody hates, nobody hates them like Wilbon. Wilbon hates warm weather hockey teams. From Alexander Kahn in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm a lawyer. I have been for years. I don't like it. It's boring. On your podcast last Friday, you said that to have your job, you need to first have a job at the Washington Post as a sports columnist. Would you please ask Barry Zverluga if I could have his job? (laughs) Many thanks. From Andrew Manning. Oh, yes. In Kalamazoo, Michigan. On a recent trip to the Finger Lakes, my wife and I had a couple of hours to kill before our Airbnb was available, so we settled on a trip to the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester. 
The museum was wonderful, and we spent several hours going through all the exhibits on the first floor. Nearing the end of our visit, I noticed a sign that said National Toy Hall of Fame, second floor, and I thought, hmm, I wonder. I went upstairs, walked over to the inductees area, and sure enough, there it was, sand, <laughs> inducted 2021. I, of course, immediately started laughing, which prompted my wife to ask why, and I followed with a lengthy explanation of the podcast, and how Mr. Tony had caught wind of Sand's induction, and has ranted about it ever since. My wife gave me a blank stare and said the old Michael Scott bit, I love inside jokes. I'd love to be a part of one someday, to which I replied, perhaps you should start listening to the podcast. If your downloads start going up, you're welcome. And he sends a picture of the induction plaque into the National Toy Hall of Fame yeah, of Sand. It's and official. It said, and the plaque says, sand may be the most universal toy in the world. From a geologist's perspective, sand is a dry, gritty material consisting of small, loose pieces of rock, soil, minerals, and gemstones. But children recognize sand as a creative vehicle for play suitable for pouring, scooping, sieving, raking, and measuring. Wet sand is even better, ready to construct, shape, and sculpt. And the only thing I would say to that is sand is not a toy. <laughs> Here's the description. Sand. Sand. It's sand. It's sand. Yes. It's not a toy. Stop it. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. You want to talk real customers? Kid, that's me. I'm like the mayor of Duncan. I go from Marblehead to Revere. <laughs> In the summer of 77, Star Wars was on every big screen. George Foster hit 50 for Cincy. The Mets traded Seaver to that same Reds team. Tommy John was a pitcher, not a medical procedure. And Reggie and the Yanks provided intrigue. And a pitcher for GG Movers was MVP of the Long Beach Rec League. Kornheiser, get in there. We need you. What a beautiful, glorious sound. GG Movers ain't got a prayer without your golden arm on the mound. Kornheiser, quit preening. Quit combing your tresses. The fellas are restless, I ain't no Captain Queeg. Grab your glove, here's the ball, show us once and for all who's MVP of the Long Beach Rec League. 77, what a season, what a summer, what a year. The Yanks won it all. L.A. showed fatigue, and Kornheiser was MVP of the Long Beach Rec League.